Before we begin, I just wanted to let you know that this episode contains some difficult themes. I believe that we've handled each of the topics with the sensitivity that they deserve, but I just wanted to let you know before you press play. My guest this week is Donald Butcher, a proud father of five who has been able to turn his passion for all things parenthood and in particular fatherhood into a business. Having done a number of TV, radio and podcast appearances where he often debunks some of the taboo topics around fatherhood, Donald is very open about his own experiences and even his own personal struggles on his fatherhood journey so far. This conversation was everything that I wanted these conversations to be. It was open, it was honest, and at times it was pretty raw. But I'm so confident that everyone listening to this episode will be able to just take something away from the conversation that we had. And that's why I'm so excited for you guys to listen to this episode of the Diary of a Dad podcast with my good friend, Donald Butcher. Welcome, Donald. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Ben. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm so glad that we are finally sitting down to have this conversation. Finally. For those of you that don't know, I've known Donald for a few years now and have spoken in various guises about this this podcast and you know getting this done. And Donald, I would say has probably been one of the drivers, certainly in recent months, onto me about getting this out there. So it was only right that I had you come on as as a guest. Um, as we get into the conversation, I think it will become very apparent to people, you know, sort of why we're talking, um, the crazy similarities that we have. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to talk. So let's get straight into it. One of the first things that I'm going to speak to people about is their childhood growing up. So what was life like for you as a young Donald Butcher? Well, first of all, uh, thank you for having me, Ben. Like I said, it's uh, it's finally here and it's a bit it's a bit emotional for me that it's finally here because it's I know you've you've thought about this podcast for a while and and I think the space is needed for fathers um to be able to to kind of speak their mind uninterrupted and unapologetically so um, I'm excited to be here so young Donald Butcher what was life like um I was a rogue <laughs> I was 100% a rogue um my uh, <laughs> my mum would tell you that as well um she had many a nights of heartache um waiting up for me and and, and kind of just thinking this child of mine I want to sell him um I, I I never I didn't grow up with a father. Um my my dad left when I was um so part part of my growing up was done in Cameroon. So for the best part of my life I, I kind of um the earliest part of my life I lived I lived in Cameroon and um I have two brothers and I used to see my dad on a regular basis up until I was around six. And he um, he disappeared after that. Um, I had two. I have two stepsisters, uh, potentially more. Um, and 
it was, I knew one thing when I was younger that I didn't want to be like him. I wanted to be present for my children. And from very early on, I knew that I wanted to be a dad. Um, I don't know whether it's because I wanted to be a better dad than what I had um, or because I just did not want to be like him. So from the very, very, my very early age, um, when, you know, I would go out with friends and I would get into, I would get into relationships, if you want, um, with friends would tell you that whenever I got into relationships, it was always an infatuation with whoever I go into a relationship with. It would, it would be, I'll be embedded right. in that because I just, I would give myself, I'm someone that I give myself a hundred percent to whatever I'm doing. Um, and I've always had that, that drive in mm -hmm. me to do that. Um, if I'm giving to someone, I'm giving the whole of me completely. So, um, whether right. it's in a friendship or, or, or in a relationship. So that was, that was me. I was, like I said, is seeing, I saw manhood and, and I guess fatherhood is this thing that I wanted to attain, but didn't really have any solid men around me, um, that, I could emulate in that sense. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I went through school kind of thinking the whole idea of, of being a man is the standard stereotype. You know, I wanted to be either a footballer or a pilot or in the army, quite weirdly enough. Um, typical African mm -hmm. household, I never wanted to be a doctor. <laughs> um, but <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, went through went through kind of childhood um, and then... When I remember very distinctively when I was about 15, I remember thinking, I could, I'm actually ready to be a dad. Oh, wow. So early. So early. I remember thinking, so because my mindset was always very different to my friends. I was always very, I was very good with children, mm -hmm. very, very good with children. And, and I remember when, when I got married, um, before I got married, my wife used to be really jealous because I would grab, I would go visit friends who had children and the children would just take to me, right? right. Um, and they would just, they would, you know, they would just love it. I don't know if it was just the nurturing side of me that just wanted to nurture someone. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that that was kind of my childhood. I mean, I went to, I went to university um, from very young age. Uh, I, 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 I have a um I had my first degree when I was about 16 um and it oh, was wow. a degree in a degree in French um because I I am bilingual and I speak fluent French so um not a lot of people know that but I I I had my first degree when I was about about that age and it's yeah that's that's I guess what what else can I tell you about a young Donald Butcher? I mean I did the things that most boys do um which is you know have fun um mm -hmm. a lot of fun um, but also, you know, use mas my my masculinity and my manhood to to, to to kind of push the perception that society wants you to push. You know, growing up in a single in a single parent household, my mum always told me that you're the man of the house now. You're the head of the family, right? And 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 in African culture, my mum is the eldest, and I'm the eldest of the eldest. So mm -hmm. naturally, my granddad would kind of you know, keep pushing me along the lines of you're now the, you're the man, you're the head of the family and, and all the rest of it. And I think that is such a dangerous place to be now when I reflect on it, because it definitely gave me 
a complex of being an accomplished person from a young age. Right. Especially but at I, such a young age, I guess, because that's a lot of pressure potentially on a, a young person's shoulders, isn't it? You know, you've, you've now got to step up. You're, you're the man of the house. They're, they're, they're words that often get thrown around, but as you say, probably have a, a quite a deeper meaning. Yeah, definitely. A hundred percent. And, and, and especially when you're not given the tools to be, the man of the house, right? You know, and, yeah. and I often say this to, to the kind of people when I do kind of speaking engagements is you're telling someone you're the man of the house, but then you're sending him to bed at nine o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> the two just don't correlate, right? Um, yeah. You, you, you kind of, it's 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 a mistake that's often done, that's often made in society. Um, and often enough, again, a massive generalisation in single parent household, there's that reliance on all that pressure put on the young men or women to take on that responsibility from a very young age without being given the tools. So yeah. I definitely felt like I wasn't given the tools to do that. And that kind of shape, you know, no one ever spoke to me about money. No one ever spoke to me about running a household. No one ever spoke to me about what it means to be a man. I had to discover that on a playground. I had to discover that by making my own mistakes. And unfortunately, it, it, it hurts. Making my own mistakes would have hurt some people. Yeah. So, yeah, that, 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 I guess that that's what a young Donald Butcher was. And that's really interesting because, and thanks for sharing, you know, in, in such detail, because I think something that I'm really interested in and the whole premise, I guess, behind this podcast is, you know, these conversations around fatherhood and, I've just become so intrigued, you know, ever since Arlo was born, basically about, you know, the role of a father and, and how important that is. And growing up in a very traditional, you know, stable household myself and, and knowing that a lot of my friends were in similar situations. It's only, I guess, as you start to get older and you start to experience other setups and other family situations that you realize that, you know, there's there's a lot going on out there. Um, so yeah, I'm, mm. I'm really intrigued. So what's quite interesting then is that you say that from the age of 15, you know, that you're, you, you want to be a father, um, you get yourself into, to various relationships, but obviously ultimately you found the one, the one that was going to stick. Um, what was that like when you first get into that relationship? Was you, were you very open about wanting to be uh, a father and a parent? Was, was the feeling reciprocated? You know, what, what were your plans when, when you first got together? Well, when we first got together, we I we were around 18. And at okay. the time, my now wife said to me, we got together and then split up for probably around three years. And we got together for about two weeks. And it, uh, you know, it, it just didn't work out for one reason <laughs> or another. It just didn't work out at the time. And we went through this period of just dating other people and and, and 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 I was always someone that was, I would say, a serial dater as I always needed to have someone. And I think mm -hmm. it was just the need to always be loved, always wanted to be loved. Yeah. So I always had someone I'd, or I was seeing someone or something else and kind of just keeping that whole kind of almost conveyor belt moving. And I remember my wife at the time, my, my girl, well, my, she wasn't, she was a friend. So I've known my my now wife since I was probably around twelve. I was best friends with her brother. That's right. a whole different. That's a whole different story. <laughs> it's a whole other story. <laughs> that's that's a whole <laughs> other story. Um. So, and she had known me through the number of different women I dated in that time, and 
the first thing she said to me um, when we kind of tried to get back together the second time was, if we are going to get back together, we are looking at marriage. This is long term. So what I need mm-hmm. you to do is I need you to date yourself for a year. I need you to be single for a year. I need you to okay. have no kind of sexual activity, no, nothing for a year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and, you know, my wife, my wife was a virgin when we got married, right? I wasn't. And that hurt me purely because I wanted to be, I wanted to be a virgin and for her. So that whole process of her saying to me, you have to, you have to date yourself for a year was her saying, you have to be so sure that this is what you want to do because you haven't spent any time on your own. You may not know who you are. So you need to go and figure out your, who you are and deal with your own issues. And once you've done that and we can then start this process um, if it's still something you want to do. So off I went. And for a whole year, it was one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do. Um, I think mm. because I had to spend time in my own space. I had to learn to love myself. I had to learn to mm. love and fix the, the, the issues I had, emotional, psychological, um, Mm-hmm. I had to learn to come to terms with certain realities of myself. But I also had to learn how to be the importance of sex, right? And the, the importance mm-hmm. of, in the context of a relationship, right? Um, I yeah. think it's far too easy. And I think that was probably the most difficult thing and, and thing that people probably don't talk about is sex and masturbation. So it's quite common for a man to masturbate in society, right? And I'm not, you know, it's mm-hmm. not, I'm not the judge or, or jury of that at all. Um, but what I had to do is kind of learn why you needed that, over that sexual release mm-hmm. and what the impact of that was that on my emotional and psychological state. Yeah. And grow from there. And so when we got together, it was almost like we did not actually, I mean, we're, we're, we're religious, so there's, there's that element to it. But I think before you mm-hmm. even delve into that, and I think once you throw religion as a blanket to things, a lot of people switch off. So I don't, you know, I don't like to do it because for me, it's, it's far deeper than that. It's, 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 there's a lot yeah. more, there's a lot more layers to it. So when we then got together, um, we didn't sleep together till we got married. So right. it it was one of the at the beginning was a very difficult thing. But hadn't I had hadn't I not had that year on my own, I don't think I would have been able to accomplish it. Um, and I think right. I I probably would have walked away from the one. Yeah. And that's really interesting because, you know, that's quite an, an unusual sort of setup um, or an unusual request to be made. But what I've, what I took away from that, which is really interesting, is that you had to come to terms with and you had to find yourself. And I think a lot of people don't do that before they become parents. And, 
you know, we all talk about as parents, oh, we're figuring it out, we're winging it, we're learning on the job, we're doing all of these things. But I guess if there's, you know, emotional baggage or, or other baggage that we're, we're bringing into that mix, then obviously that that can have can have an impact. So that's really interesting. I mean, it sounds as though we could probably spend a, a huge amount of time, you know, delving into <laughs> into all of that side, and we haven't even got into into the fatherhood side of things yet. So yeah. let's. So you guys, so you guys get together. You, you're now married. You've obviously had conversations, I'm guessing, about, you know, potentially raising a family. Was was the intention mm-hmm. to do that straight away or were you going to wait? Were there other things that you wanted to achieve before starting a family? It was never straight away. It was, I think that we got married in, 2014, in 2013. Um, mm-hmm. And that year, in April 2014, 27th, uh, no, yeah, 27th of April 2014. And that summer, we had planned to do maybe around 20 festivals. Uh, we okay. planned to do, uh, go to Spain, to do La Tomatina, to do Monegros, which is a, a house festival in the desert. We planned to go to Ibiza. We planned to go to Thailand. We planned to do so many things, and we were in the process of booking those things. My daughter was born on the 27th of April, 2014. So a year, almost (laughs) a year to the day after. So a year, a year. uh, After we'd got, after we'd got married. (laughs) So we kind of had put all of that on hold. Yeah. So, so, and and this is often a thing, you know, plans chop and change. I often talk about Sophie and I, we got married in, ironically, the same year, uh, later in the summer. So we get married in the, the August we decide that we're not going to have kids for a few years. We're just going to focus on the business. We go away and we get two dogs in the September, October, and then we fell pregnant with Arlo in the November. Um, so adjusting to those, you know, new circumstances, how, how was that for you both? Was it an easy adjustment to make? Was it as simple as just saying, look, we're, yeah, we're going to put these plans on hold now. Did you go off and do any of that no, stuff No, we didn't. Still? We had to cancel a lot of those plans because um she was pregnant um and and we couldn't travel it, it was just impossible for, for for when those that that came now remember that mm. summer we were fighting back and forth with british airways um to to get you know to kind of get some some kind of money back <laughs> on on um on what we had we'd already shelled out to travel but it it's it was really exciting it was really exciting but really scary at the same time because i am now responsible for not just one myself, but two other human beings. And it's, I just found the whole process mm. fascinating then, you know, and you know, you get the app as the first, as the first time dad, and you're watching, they tell you it's a pea size and then it's a bag of, it weighs a bag of sugar or baby is now this particular, a watermelon and, and all the rest of it. Yeah, and you're just yeah. going through the app. And I remember just, uh, I remember sat down with some friends and showing them videos of how babies grow in the, in the tummy. And they were just like, <laughs> yeah. that is amazing. It's And I think it's not something that guys, you get, you know, you get taught at school, but when it happens to you, I was just, I was in awe. I was in awe of my wife. I was in awe of the process. Mm. I was in awe of, of what uh, nature is. Um, and it was, was it an adjustment? It was because I had to learn about cravings. I had to learn about, she's tired. I, 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 I made a classic mistake that most, um, 
newly married men do. You get home and the house is a mess and you go, well, what have you been doing all day? That is the one question you never asked. You didn't. (laughs) You didn't. (laughs) The one question, I think think new fathers and new married men should have a box of questions you never ask, right? Um, And I did that. (laughs) <laughs> never, never say, say, that, say one. that one and I did that and I remember the, I remember the first few times I was like what are you getting to be in a honey about like it's I'm asking you a genuine question what have you been doing all day because <laughs> the place is a, it's a mess and I hate mess I absolutely hate mess another similarity that Ben and I have alongside having lived pretty much a very similar <laughs> life um, it, it, and it it just I think it was an eye opening into when my daughter came on that day, on the on the twenty seventh of April, I remember I was she she had gone upstairs. My wife had gone upstairs. I was downstairs finishing watching match of the day Saturday, and I heard this. She was she was screaming. She was like, "I don't feel great." And then I heard this pop, this mighty pop. I was like, "What oh, is man. that?" And next thing I hear is. I'm like, what's wrong? What's wrong? Have you fallen over? What's happened? <laughs> My waters have broke. And I panicked, literally. And then we had, we were on three, we were in a maisonette in, um, in Richmond. And I had to get her from the top, which was where the bedrooms were, three, three stories down <laughs> while she's, while she's having contractions. Right. I was like, cause this is taking a while, isn't it? Like, come on, let's go. And then get her in the car. And then drive around to to take her to the hospital. And I remember when my daughter came, I just cried. I just I I was still in awe. I was still in awe. And and I think that first time mm. fatherhood, that first time you are a dad, you know, you're a dad from conception. But that when that child comes out, I think it's underestimated and underrated how much of a blessing that is. And how much of I don't mm. even I don't even know how to explain it. It's just something special happens, and it really is, isn't it? And I think you know, so many people. I've spoken to so many different people about this, and some people get that real, you know, almost like that Hollywood moment where you know the child arrives and it's you know the clarity, and then there's other people that are confused by it. There's others that you know, I've heard people say that they just went numb at the time because you know they didn't know had to deal with all of the the rush of emotions and the adrenaline and all of all of these things but it's a blessing you know there's no two ways about that I think that's that's very clear to see and did you feel were you prepared for the arrival for example um because you met something you mentioned there was about showing you know your mates these the, the stuff in the app and things like that so who were the who were the people that you were speaking to about fatherhood were they fathers so I, already did you have anyone to sound off i against? had one friend who was who was who was a father and and is a very very good friend of mine um will and we we often he was he was one of the first in our in our group of friends to be a dad and mm. we always he he's a fun guy really really fun guy his wife is very very chilled and we just used to did everything nothing nothing changed so we, th- I thought, well, being a dad can't be that hard, right? So in the conversations I was having with him, he kept saying, mm. I'm so tired. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, 
baby comes, give it to mum. Like baby cries, give it to mum, and 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 life goes on. Um, I didn't have what was really clear, and what became clear to me is I was still on this discovery journey of what it means to be a father, with and, and in preparation of being a father, mm. and I was having to do a lot of that research based on what society tells you and what I I intrinsically yeah. know. So there wasn't anyone around that was readily available to say, well, have you thought about what your own traumas are? Have you thought of, have you have you thought about um what you're going to do? You know, have you thought about the idea that you're not going to sleep? Have you thought about preparing yourself psychologically and mentally for the birth or when that happens? So it's it was very difficult a few once everything had settled down baby had come mum was now spending a lot of time with 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 baby and i was feeling you know every father feels that you know first first time that that neglect right that it's a very lonely place when you're a dad a new dad and no one has told you these things and you're sitting there Baby, mm. baby's got mum, mum's got baby. They're spending time together. You want to be part of that, but baby is still breastfeeding a lot of the time. You can carry baby and all the rest of it for a little while. Um, but it's the first time round. You have no one to talk to. No one is telling you, well, do this. How about a bit of self-care? How about a bit of this? How about you think about, you know, you don't want mm. to speak to mum because she's just been through hell of a lot to be honest to give birth to that child it's the first time for her she has her mum around or she has her friends around to talk to but you're left in this place where you're feeling just as emotional you're feeling psychologically knackered you're feeling tired you're feeling worried you're now thinking right I need to work twice as hard to make sure that I, you know, I'm providing for, for, for both of them, but no one, it's a thankless job. Um, and I think you can very much as a new time dad, you see it like mm. that. And that's really interesting because I speak to so many parents, you know, via Instagram, um, you know, just in my sort of like day to day life now. And I feel as though the, what you mentioned before about these sort of tips or advice that you should be giving to sort of like new, newly married people. But I just feel, also feel that for new dads, that the one thing that I just constantly give out as, as the only piece of advice really is around communication. Because there's a, I find that there's a lot of assumptions that are made about how the other person might be feeling. So like you just said there, you know, you're not wanting to burden your wife how, with how you're feeling because of what she's been through. But actually, when you do communicate together, it kind of brings you a lot closer. And so suddenly then, you know, that feeling of loneliness almost gets taken away because you've now got, you know, this this person that you can speak to. But it's I think it's only natural that, you know, we second guess all of these things. And I think sometimes as guys, it would be nice to have, you know, another guy mate who's going through it or, you know, has, has gone through it fairly recently. And it's just that that sounding board. And it's really interesting, I think, in my own personal experience, just not necessarily always having those people around and then you're sort of left to figure it out for yourself. And and obviously every every pregnancy no, is very different. But obviously think things started to go well for you, obviously. You know, you, you kind of 
I'm guessing you fairly quickly get into the swing of, of, of being a dad. And I guess at that point, did you, what was your thinking then in relation to growing the family? Was it something that you knew fairly early on that you wanted to do or were you happy with, with just one child? It took a while. I say it took a while. It didn't take that long. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, the, if you know the ages of our kids, you know it did not. It did, doesn't didn't really take that long. Um, and we just our goal was always to have a large family. I'm 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 from you know it's right. it's to have a big family. Should I say um, I, at least above what my mum had and her mum had. Her mum had three. My mum right. had three. And it was at least get to three, right? At least get to three because we remember right. our childhood and that was happy, you know, a happy childhood playing with your brothers and sisters and and, and, and all the rest of it. Um, and we we wanted, you know, we wanted to have as many as we could accommodate or we would have the space and energy and time and, 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 and kind of financial support for and all the rest of it. So... Um, it was we always wanted to make sure that we can give our children, regardless of how many we have, as much attention as individual attention as they can get. Right. So um, the, the conversation was always around, look, you know, we're open, you know, when we're ready, we'll be ready. When it happens, it happens. It was never yeah. kind of let's control it or let's manage it. It's when when it happens, it will happen naturally. We're not so you know, when once my daughter was kind of one and and started walking around and 18 months, oh, I felt pregnant again. Um, and so, you know, and then the second one, there was a bit more, I think it was about 18 months as well, or just under eight, 16 months or so. Mm -hmm. um, then she felt pregnant again. So we had, uh, now we've got a seven, a six and a, a five-year-old, right, quite close together. Right. Um, so you had three under three at one point? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So uh, that in itself brings a, a load of challenges. One of the questions that people often ask me on Instagram is the, um, what's the biggest, what was the biggest challenge? Was it that jump from one to two, two to three? What, how, what did you find the biggest challenge? Two to three. You're outnumbered, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it was exactly that. At one to two, it's difficult, but you can manage it because you can be, you know, one is still a baby whilst one mm. is going through the kind of toddlerish age and kind of being a bit can now string maybe two words together and can tell you no and all the rest of it. Um, mm. And you can kind of manage that because you could be like, look, I'm breastfeeding, go with your dad. I haven't got time for this. Or, you know, go to your mum, whatever. Um, but when you get to two to three, one is suddenly stuck with two. And, yeah. you know, if mum is breastfeeding, it becomes more difficult. So I think for me, that was that was the biggest jump. But now, you know, going from three to four, um, it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, 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 it's easier in a sense that they they kind of manage themselves. Yeah, I guess. And you've been through that. You've been through that cycle. You kind of understand what's there. But yeah, I mean, I agree. I always say that that two to three, the point where you become outnumbered, uh, you know, it's it's noticeably different, um, especially when they're they're all so young. But the thing that is positive is in the long run, and you're probably seeing this now at those ages, you know, the five, six and seven, that that's actually they're three really good ages 
and when they're getting on, you know, it must be a joy to to sort of sit back. Yeah, um, no, that part is, is a joy when they're getting on. It's when they're not getting on that you're kind of you're kind of having yeah. to mediate. <laughs> Play, play referee, be the judge. Yeah, it's. it's yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't wish that on, uh, on on anyone. So it sounds as though, on the face of it, things have you know been fairly plain and, and simple. You know, three children in, in very quick succession, and you know, life obviously sort of carrying on. At this stage, what was what was work life? Because I obviously, you know, this is the diary of a dad podcast. What was what was your day-to-day diary like? How, how were you managing things on a day-to-day basis? It was tough. It, it was, I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was very tough. Um, I think it was very tough because my wife would be breastfeeding one um, and mm-hmm. I would have to get up um, in the middle of the night if one of the two woke up um, mm-hmm. and still have to be up at six o'clock by half five, six o'clock in the morning to get on, get ready, make sure everything was ready for them and then get on my day. I now have to work just as hard because now we've got more mouths to feed. Um, you know, work life balance. And what were you what were you doing for work? What were you doing for work at this point? I was working in fintech. I was in financial services. So right. I was um I was, mm-hmm. you know, the card machines you get the online where you buy stuff online, um, that was that was me. That was the kind of the risk and compliance, the the, the mm-hmm. kind of support around anti money laundering, check in, and, and and businesses, you know, being supported to do the right to do the right things. Um, so not the type, not the type of job that you can fall asleep on. No, on the no, job whilst no, doing. No, no, it's not the type <laughs> of job where you can sneak off and not do anything because nine times out of ten, you know. <laughs> You, if 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 you put through someone, you know, as you as you know, you know, from a financial background, if you put someone that is uh, a high risk or, or money layering um, through supporting a business, then it's uh, it can be very detrimental, not just to 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 whoever will will feel the side effects of that, but also to to the business and to to you as a business. So um, there was yeah. So I, I was I was very tired. I was I think. We were arguing more just because I just I think as as a that as a dad at that stage, I just felt like I wasn't getting enough attention. And look, men love attention. Mm. I don't care what any man says. We love attention. We want our partners to give us the right attention. Right. Um and mm. I just wasn't getting it. So it almost in my mindset, it was almost like, right, I love my family, I love home. I love my wife, but I is you almost feel that relationship between your wife and yourself, kind of you kind of feel like that parting is starting to grow a bit bigger, um, and and that's where mm-hmm. that's where we're at, um, and we had to make intentional efforts to made sure we did date night every Tuesday night. We do date night, you know. Um, I remember when we when we first mm. got married and moved in together had not having lived together before we used to have we never had we, ne- we didn't buy a tv just so that we could play right games right so we'd have every night we'll mm-hmm. play a different game we'll learn how to play chess and scrabble and checkers and and and, and uh, monopoly and or bananagram all of those kind of classic games we would learn how to play put our phones to the side and just play games so 
we went back to that and we would have date night every Tuesday night and and kind of introduce that and amazing have a real good conversation with ourselves around look just because you've got kids doesn't mean you stop living and I think that's the very that's a common mistake mm-hmm. that ha- that that's made in a lot of um in a lot of you know maybe new parents or or, or maybe older parents where you know the kids become so much embedded in the fabric of who they are that they forget who they were before they had kids and i think that that that's really important yeah it's really interesting i saw the other day something where people were talking about you know which is the more important relationship is it the the one that you have with your children or the one that you have with your spouse and there's so many arguments around it. Obviously, they're both so important. But the one thing that stood out to me was that someone was saying that long after the children have moved on and, and left home, you're you're still there with your spouse. And that's kind of the core of the relationship. So almost saying, you know, don't take for granted the relationship that you have with your spouse because you know, you really need it. And I always used to be confused as to why people, when their kids grow up and move out later in life, why their relationships fall apart. And I guess if kids have just been the focus and there's been nothing else holding you guys together, then that then that can present challenges. So it's really interesting there that you are able to recognize the signs, not just recognize it, but then try and, mm. you know, actively do something um, uh, about that. At what point then did you, so you, you're at three children now, you guys are homeschooling as well, right? Weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. We're, so in my daughter's first, first uh, year, she went to, uh, she went to preschool mm-hmm. and after preschool, I, I kind of had, I'd, I'd been to private school and, and uh, um, at the private school I went to, um, they were talking a lot you know, you would see homeschooled kids, mm-hmm. and these homeschooled kids would generally be the ones that socially were a bit, you know, would be uh, a bit behind, mm-hmm. but academically they were so far ahead. Yeah. So I, I I had a real good tussle around what does you know, and did some research around homeschooling, and I said to my wife, look, I actually. I would quite like to homeschool our kids because if you look at if you look at the data, and I'm someone who's fascinated by data, if you look at the data, you look at places like the Nordic countries, mm-hmm. right? Kids don't go to school to a much later age, which means to, to I think they're about four or five, which mm-hmm. means they have that whole time at home with their parents learning, right? Learning about the base, about who they are, the core of who they are, right? And that, that, that what the data also shows is people who spent that time with because once you put your kids into an education system and this is again this is not gospel but this is just my personal opinion mm-hmm. once you put your kids into the education system they're not coming out till they've if they go to uni till mm-hmm. if they go on and do a phd that is 18 years yeah. or 20 years whichever way you look at it that they're not going to come out for so you then lose them for eight hours, eight to nine hours of the day, and then you throw in extra sport activities and all the rest of it. So for the best part of the on a day-to-day basis, at least from Monday to Friday, the majority of the week, you don't have that time with your children. Mm. Whereas for us, it was very important that we spent that time 
with our children. Mm-hmm. We spend that time teaching them about their culture, teaching them about who they are, teaching them about solidifying who they are as people and reinforcing their, their, their personalities in them and kind of educating them at home. I mean, we're not we're not teachers. My wife and I are not teachers, but we wanted to take on that challenge. Yeah. Um, and it worked out perfectly. And 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 I think, you know, this year was the first year um in September and my daughter decided she she wanted to go to school this academic year. And we said, fine, you know, she's seven. We always said to her when she can and when she's in a position where she knows what's good, what's bad, and she wants to make that decision, then we will support that decision. Um right. and she was ready she was ready mm-hmm. um to go to school and at, at, at this at this stage i mean we had three you're now at the same amount of kids that you said that your mm-hmm. both mothers have had um but you guys were still open to the idea of continuing to you know continuing to grow the family you've had three successful back-to-back pregnancies what happened next for you guys is probably kind of one of the most defining moments I guess that could happen to to any parent I know that you and I have spoken about this I know that you're very open in in speaking about this particularly with some of the the speaking work that you that you choose to do do you want to talk us through that time and honestly you know this this forum this platform is for you to say as as much or as little as you as you want to on this but I know it's a subject that's very close to your heart that you 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 are comfortable sharing yeah, no, hundred percent. I think what 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 happened next was my wife conceived again, um, and went out onto a fourth. And I, I remember she was around. Tw- pregnancy was was going fine. Um, my wife had a bit of a she had a hernia, um, and it was it was a bit achy, but she, it was fine for all accounts. We were now going in for our twenty. I think it's twenty three week check. Mm-hmm. midwife midwife check 20, 20 or 23 I can't remember um and I remember it was a Friday and my wife wasn't feeling brilliant at all she she her hernia was hurting but you know I'd gone to work and she told me and I was like okay cool what time's the midwife okay I'm I literally dropped everything and I was like right I'm going home I'm going home I, I worked in King's Cross and we had moved to southeast London um Thornton Heath and I remember getting just just feeling getting this need of I need to go home. So I got home just in time to go to a midwife appointment, which is around four o'clock, I think. Um, so we throw the band. You know, if you know us, if you know you you know me in particular, you know that I come. If I'm going, the whole band is coming. <laughs> right, anywhere we go, that's how we roll. The whole band is coming. So. I throw the kids in the car and she says, well, you're not bringing them. I said, of course I'm bringing them. Let's go. Um, so we get to the midwife. The midwife, she does the test that she does. She can't find a heartbeat. And she's like, oh, it's normal, right? It's normal. Sometimes baby's hiding. Sometimes baby's mm-hmm. facing another direction. Um, she then goes on to say, look, do you want to hear the heartbeat? We're like, yeah, of course. It's worrying that you can't hear the heartbeat. So she says, she tries again, calls another midwife in. She tries it. She can't find a heartbeat either. She then says, look, we'll send you up to hospital because, you know, there must be a heartbeat somewhere. Um, Probably the way the baby is laying. But to put you at ease, do you want us to send you to hospital? He said, yeah, of course. At this stage, we're not thinking the worst. We're just thinking, oh, you know, baby. Just an anomaly. Just laying in a bit. 
yeah, an anomaly. It's just laying in a particular way. So we go off, off we trot off to hospital. We get to hospital, take us in for the scan. The first lady comes in, sonographer, she scans it, and she's like, I'll be back. Goes off, gets the doctor. The doctor comes in and he's, she scans it and she says, unfortunately, there's no heartbeat. Your baby's died. And that, at that moment, everything just stopped. It felt, the kids were there. My wife burst out crying. A nurse has come in and said, taking the kids to go and do some drawing um, or whatever. And I'm frozen. I've never, never, you never think you will be that parent. As crass as it sounds, you never, never in a million years does it cross your mind that such a thing could happen. You know, you've had three amazing children. You've had three good pregnancies. It never crosses your mind. Um, mm. I, 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 oof, it's It's got me a little bit, but um, it never really... Um, Take your time. You kn- Take your time. Uh, oh, um, you never, you, you, it never sinks in. It really never sinks in. Um, mm. as as a as a parent, you never think, "Wow, this 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 is gonna happen." And those those words, when you hear it, it you freeze I think as a dad I just froze and I wanted to protect everything else around me and slowly but surely everything starts kicking in the doubt mm. the, the 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 idea that it's your fault somehow and for me now I I, I think a lot of the time I, I don't get emotional at what happened to us but I get emotional at other fathers out there who so badly want to be fathers, but because this mm. has happened, they don't see themselves as fathers. Mm. And that that hurts me. That I, I, I don't know why, but it just gets to me. And I think, you know, the, the days preceding that were one of the darkest, the darkest moment, I think, I'd had in my own life. Um, it it mm. took me to a place where I didn't want to be here. I wanted to be with my 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 daughter. Um, and and for a bit of you know like maybe taking it maybe a little bit light. Um, they they had told us that it was a boy. When when she when she came out. So right. we mourned, we mourned a boy, and then when we had the autopsy results back, it was a she. <laughs> and I said, I said to my, I, I said to my oh, wife man. as a joke, "This is a true twenty first century baby, <laughs> right? They, 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 he's got the pro, the pronouns. He's got it all right. <laughs> sort of stuff. He, she, them, um, yeah, and got, it, got everything." <laughs> It, it like I said, it's not something you ever think you would would take you to place to to that place. 
And at that moment, I realized I didn't, you don't even think as a parent that this can happen. You hear of it happening to other people, but you never think it will happen to you. So when it does happen mm. to you, you kind of sit there thinking, yeah. what's next? What do I do? How do I deal with this emotion? Who do I talk to? Where are the other men that this happens to? Right, You're left on your own. And I remember it taking mm. me to places. And I remember, you know, my wife, we, my wife, we then had to go back. This was a Friday and we had to go back on a Sunday for her to give birth to our daughter on the, on, on the Sunday, um, early hours of Monday morning. And you're in that room, delivery suite, they put you in a delivery suite and their other parents given birth. And you've got still got that glimmer of hope that they've got it wrong. And you're going to deliver a baby and you're going to hear those, that cry, you know, up yeah. until that delivery stage, you're, you're hopeful. And I remember those two days, the Saturday and the Sunday before we went into hospital, I remember just laughing and feeling guilty for laughing, for being joyous, for being... And my wife just kept saying, I'm I'm praying that they've got it wrong. They've got it wrong. And I remember going into the hospital and I remember we ordered Nando's yeah. because we were starving. And we were just laughing and joking. But then there's also that moment where you stop and you think, should we be laughing and joking? You question yourself and you kind of think, Mm-mm. I feel guilty for laughing and joking. I feel guilty for... My my, I've got a dead child, and that's the reality of it. Should I be laughing and joking? And that's you know, as as people know, and for those that obviously know sort of my story, and I I think hopefully through this conversation, it's it's kind of come across around you know the, the numerous similarities that, that we've had in our in our journeys. And so obviously I can relate so much to what you're saying now um, around those feelings. And it is, it's, you know, it's guilt. It's then there's also, you know, you're reflecting and you're thinking about your other children. You know, the fact that you've got three happy, healthy children that you need to be there for, that you need to show up for, you know, that need you at, at that time. You know, it's the the range of emotions is just it's unlike anything. I mean, I wish that nobody ever had to experience, you know, what you've gone through, what I've gone through, what countless mm. other parents have gone through. But the reality is, as we know, you know, this is happening day in, day out, you know, up and down the country, all over the world. Um, talking about that point, though, there, where you sort of think about, because you mentioned, uh, you said that, you know, you have those feelings of not wanting to be here because, you know, that was that initial grief. How did you manage that need to look after yourself and and go through everything that you were going through versus knowing that you've got still a a young family and a wife that that clearly does need your support at that time? Was it something that you were able to be there for them for that? I didn't, Ben. I did not manage it well at all. Um, I, I, I remember for a whole week I wanted to be alone. I didn't want to see my kids. I didn't want to see my wife. I, I spent the time in our bedroom on my own and I didn't want to see anyone. Um, I, I had suicidal thoughts. I, I nearly enacted the, 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 the actually took my own life. Um, mm. I planned it all. I'd written a suicide note. Um, 
And I think it was, when I reflect upon it, it was a a plea for help, a cry for help. Because Mm. what do you do when you're heartbroken, your heart is shattered to pieces, you've got three wonderful children, you've got a wife, you've got what to the outside world seems so perfect. And and you know it's it's perfect, but you you can't contain it. You've got this emotional wreckage that is mm. coursing through your vein that just you don't know what to do. I did not know what to do. I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't know how to talk about it. I didn't know where to talk about it. I didn't know anything. So I was left dealing with this on my own. And not knowing who and how, mm. right? And I, I yeah, I, it was it, it it was it was horrible. It was absolutely yeah. horrible. I don't. It, it it took for me to be introduced into a group of of other men who had who had been re, not not long ago been for a similar thing, and I think that's when I I kind of you know we we. We'd connected then, mm-hmm. um, myself and you, Ben, and, and and other men who'd been through a similar thing. And it was on it was almost unreal because you don't know the stats till it happens. Yeah. And you're faced with it, right? You don't know that something's going on in the Amazon jungle until you're in the Amazon jungle. But mm-hmm. you don't know it till you're faced with that. And mm-hmm. when you're faced with it, you start realizing that one in four pregnancies this happens yeah you know out of your circle of friends one in four dads have suffered baby loss yeah yeah the statistics are well yeah shocking when you put it like that and as you say for for most parents that never have to go through it you know that's that's amazing but for those that do it's yeah it's it's really 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 tough you you mentioned the you know kind of the the support mechanism that you found eventually that didn't come via sort of like the medical profession did it you know that that was very much sort of external source no it didn't how how was that process for you from a medical perspective because you know i've been there and you know there are bereavement services that are available you know through the through the hospitals what what do you think was to me it sounds as though something was missing there for you because on my hand i say that i feel like i received the right support you know through the through the bereavement um situation but mm-hmm. something was something was clearly a miss for you yeah no definitely i think when you look at i was handed this um sans pack um, stillbirth and antenatal um, charity. Um, I, w- I received their pack and was just kind of sent home with this folder with all the booklets and all the rest mm-hmm. of it and just being like, sorry for your loss. Here you go. Off you go. Um, and that was it. <laughs> you, 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 you almost had to be proactive to be able to, um, to get anything. Mm-hmm. So for me, there wasn't there wasn't really rightfully so. The focus was on the mum, right? What she'd just physically been through, rightfully so. The focus should be on her. But I think that, that there's, there's there's there there was and there still is 
something missing in 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 the kind of the hospitals and and growing so a lot of stillbirth and and and, and miscarriage charities focus a lot of their work on on supporting the mums mm-hmm. rightfully so but they, they, there's a huge gap in in that they're not really you know what happens to the dads what happens mm-hmm. to not just the dads but the children you know mm-hmm. we we told our we told our, our kids what had happened um until this day it's really nice that the kids always remember her on her birthday and they always remember they've got a sister in heaven um and but the, the you know in terms of the medical you know bereavement services there wasn't really much they, they, you know you were told what would happen and it was very kind of you know it was very straight to the point mm. you know, this is what's going to happen um once we've you know you have a choice of letting us do an autopsy or you don't and then you know you can then go on and and, and bury your child once you've buried your child and and all the rest of it you're kind of off their hands and off the record and if you do get pregnant again then we have you said pregnancy at risk and we have to monitor you and all the rest of it yeah you know what was really really scary is we like i said my wife is the strongest woman i know um we buried our daughter eight weeks after she was born because of the autopsy and we buried her on the saturday no on a friday and moved on a saturday right just that mechanism of dealing with it and just like life goes on you know we, we, we're going to keep we're going to keep yeah. things moving yeah can again can totally relate to that i think what's really interesting for me is that there is clearly and, and this isn't you know us sort of bashing or knocking the support that's available in the you know the medical field um i think that over the years there has been a realization that there's probably more that can be done for dads um, as you said, I think it is very much, it takes a strong man and we're just talking in, in the male terms at the moment, you know, it takes a strong man to pick up a phone and say to someone that you've never spoken to before, I'm actually really struggling, you know, with all of this, you can read yeah. all of the information, the packs are there. It's very clearly laid out that the help is there. And that's one thing that I do always say to, to other men who I know have gone through is that the professional help is there you know, do avail yourself of it. It's there for a reason. But actually that act of mm-hmm. picking up the phone or emailing someone or whatever it's sending a message just to say that I need some help, there is still a, a real barrier there. And so it's nice, I guess, when, you know, communities are formed as sad as it is around, you know, baby loss and then other people can speak to it to other people. I remember you were, you know, not on my case, but you know, you, you were very forthcoming with wanting to reach out to me to make sure that I was okay when, when everything was going on. And, you know, that was something that at the time I couldn't understand. I was thinking, well, why is this guy showing so much interest? I know you, you'd gone through it, but I was just thinking it's, but it only made sense sort of afterwards. And so that's that level of support that I would always now try and, you know, sort of pass on to someone else who's, who's gone through it. Um, and I think that's the thing, you know, we, we, we've we got to be there for, for others, whether we know them personally or, you know, just by association. I think sometimes just that friendly message. I, I get it all the time. I get asked all the time, what should I say to my friend who's just gone through this? Like, you know, sometimes I get messages of people and they're like, my friend lost a baby last night. 
what what should I do this morning? Mm. And it's the, the thing is, there's no right answer. There's no right or wrong answer in that scenario because how everybody wants to handle and deal with it is is so different. But one thing I would say is you don't don't make the mistake of not acknowledging it. Yeah. I think a lot of the time people don't acknowledge it yeah. and they kind of, you know, pe- people would just not, they will, because of this taboo around it, people just don't acknowledge it and they'll find barriers to not talk about it. Yeah. And that um, in itself and, causes and, and, frustration and on both to. sides, doesn't it? Because, you know, as a, someone that's gone through it who might want to talk about it and might want to acknowledge it, you're then confused as to why your friends, your family, you know, aren't talking about it. It's, it, it, it is a real challenge. I think clearly sensitivity is the key. Um, you know, there are no two situations mm. that are the same. And I think, you know, having that open conversation, I always say that if someone is in a situation where they don't want to talk about it anymore, they will probably let you know. Um, They'll let they, you know. Yeah, yeah they, they will 100%. You know, that that is the reality. But being scared to approach the subject or pretending it hasn't happened probably can have quite a negative negative impact clearly that wasn't the end of things for you though as a family um as as traumatic as an experience as as you'd gone through was there ever that conversation that you guys had about future pregnancies or was it that same mentality that you had before which was we'll see what happens you know we're open to having a family We'll, we'll sort of see where it goes I think initially it was very difficult. Initially, it's you know you 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 go through you go through it in your head, and it takes time for you to psychologically heal from that, because you're trying to you're thinking where did I go wrong? Was it my fault? Mm. Did I eat too much? Was I too fat? Was I too slim? Does my sperm not work anymore? What happens? Am I? And conversely, your 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 wife, your partner is thinking exactly the same thing. What did I do wrong? Mm. Where did I go wrong? Did I not take my vitamins? Did I not? So you have this process where you're trying to deal and come to terms with it. And then let alone the first time when you go back to having sex, it's kind of like you're scared. There's an apprehension. Mm. There is a serious apprehension. It's almost like the first time after you got married Mm. where you were kind of thinking, well, how's this going to go then? Right? So it's kind of, there's that apprehension. So we... We, we, you know, over over time, we kind of spoke about it. We kind of digested it. I got help mentally, you know, for for you know for my own mental health. My wife got help. We were talking. I was talking to a counselor, uh, a therapist, um, getting getting the help that I need. I had this community of of people, and we tried to normalize it in our house. So we we, we got this portrait of of our daughter's feet Mm -hmm. that sits in with the picture of of all the kids so it was it became normal Mm. in our house and i think eventually over time you're never you never go back to normal you never go back to normal you find a new normality right you never go back to what you were before because it's a life-changing event so we, we we kind of found a new rhythm and it just happened naturally you know and and when we found out that the rainbow baby, uh, which is a term given to babies who are born after you've lost a uh, lost a child, it you, you're filled with I I detached completely right. from it, like com- completely. I I I didn't want to put 
a lot into it just yeah. in case because naturally I am I am kind of stepping back mm. a bit and just going, well, okay, all right. And then week by week, day by day, it gets easier. It gets closer and it gets easier. And you're almost looking at the calendar and going, right, poof, we've done week one. We've done week two. We've done, we're now, you know, down 39, we're 38 weeks. Okay, you get to that safe point and you think, and I remember we got to that safe point and I remember a friend of ours passed away. Um, she gave birth to, she gave birth to her daughter and and at hospital she died of preeclampsia right and it and and that just kind of sends shockwaves around and you think and you get to what would have been the birth date of the baby of angela who would lost and all and and the tricky part was my wife's friends they were all pregnant around the same time so february she would have been born right so you've now got you now have to go to that baby shower, right. that baby shower, that baby shower when they would have been born. So it kind of, it, it kind of, it, that that was a bit of a, that was tough. But over time, and like I said, you know, we settled back into a new normal, and 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 you know, our, our rainbow baby Malachi was born two years almost to the date on the fourth of March, just before lockdown, um, and. Yeah, it's it's his two years now, and you you're never you're never the same. Like I said, but you you kind of still think about Angela, and, and I look at Malachi, and I think, would he is this what Angela would have been like? Yeah, you know, you kind of look at it and you think, gosh, you you, you kind of wonder what would have been, and you kind of mourn. Yeah, and, and I think it was a friend who were both in the same group with, with David Monteith, that kind of said, "You have the most dynamic relationship with your with your dead child, mm. right? Um, or your dead children, and 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 you're constantly talking to them, and they, every year something different happens, you know, around their birthday, something different happens for that year, and you you take something different away from it, and." You know, someone always put it so nicely and said, "At least you have a face to recognize when you die. That 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 looks like yours. That you would recognize and recognize you when you die." Mm. There is some. There are some nice, comforting bits that you can take away from again. What is a a very you know horrible situation? Mm. And yeah, I think so many so many parents are going to be able to you know really relate to what you said there, Donald. Around you know the the challenges that come particularly with, you know, a pregnancy after loss and, and getting through that. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you to you for, for being so open, for, you know, sharing your story with us on, on this platform. And I know, I know how tough it can be sometimes to even get those words out and you, you, you do it so, so mm -hmm. well. Um, and I think, you know, you, you're a source of support and encouragement for so many other dads out there and, Obviously, by by means of this podcast, we'll you know kind of let people know where they can can find you, and if anyone is going through that, you know, I know you're always there as a a listening ear, which is which is incredible. There's two things though that I want to sort of round this off 
this chat off with. Um, and I thought about these again, in keeping with the, the diary theme of things, uh, two questions. So the first question is if you were looking back now on your time as a father so far as diary entries, what's the one moment that stands out to you the most? As diary entries. Um, the one moment that would stand out to me would be when my uh, when my daughter potty trained her sibling. Okay, <laughs> how did that go? <laughs> it was it was perfect. It was perfect. I always thought I wanted a boy first, um, and I think when she came as and and it was a girl. I was happy, of course. You know, a healthy baby. Mm-hmm. That's all you want, right? So, you know, boy girl it doesn't matter. Um, so. I was happy and I I just saw myself in her, you know, a reflection of me looking back at Mm. me. And that is probably one of the most beautiful things that I could ever had, 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 had kind of thought I would want to see is there is part of me, but she's going to go on to be her own complete personality. Yeah. Right. Outside of me. And to see her, parts of her personality in how she's looking after her brother and how she has fully potty trained her brother (laughs) is something I would have done as a child. Mm. So out of all the personalities she's chosen, it's almost a leniency towards mine and her mum's. She has a choice, not, well, she has a choice to be a completely different human being, which she is. Mm right, which she has the freedom to be. But her choosing, and some would argue this nurture-nature argument, her choosing is to be like myself and her mum. And I think, I don't, I, I, for me, it blows my mind. It blows my mind because, you, like I said, you're looking at a reflection partly of, of you, mm. by and large, because, of course, you're, you, you know, genetics and all the rest of it, the science part. But in what is a choice that she could make to be anything in this world, she chooses to be partly me. Yeah. And to me, that is almost like it's it's and that was the realization at that stage that this is mind-blowing. Yeah. This is incredible. Parts of me will carry on living on this earth long after I'm gone. Mm. That must have been it. Regardless of what happens, is it's mind blowing. Yeah, that must have been incredible to watch. Um, but in my head, I'm just thinking that must have that had the potential to go so so wrong. But I'm glad it. I'm glad it. I'm glad it went well for so you. So wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad it went well for you. Um, it's not something I'm going to be advocating in our house. Um, the second no. <laughs> and and the second question is. What's the date in the diary that you're most looking forward to this year? Anything you've got coming up? So um, I, there's three dates. Can I give three dates? <laughs> three dates. <laughs> Go on then. Let's let's break let's break the rules before we've even started. Um, let's we've even started right. Um, so it's so the first one is is the 18th of June. Um, 18th of June, I, I run a Fatherhood Awards 
um, the first ever Fatherhood Awards um, UK. Um, so co co owned that and co founded that, and we're launching our first ever Fatherhood Awards um, in the UK. Um, so it's the 18th of June for all those who are listening. Keep your diary free. Um, nominate a dad. Vote for a dad, or you know, social media dad, and and yeah, um, I'm looking forward to that date, um, 18th of June. Um, there's a lot of hard work going on in the background, and I'm looking forward to it coming to to kind of life. Um, and I'm looking forward to a, a musicalized man party, <laughs> um, in in a hot in, in an extremely hot country somewhere. <laughs> um, who I, I I know someone who runs that. Um, and uh, hopefully, I still get an invite um, with a first class play ticket. Um, <laughs> the pressure, the pressure's on. But no, I'm looking forward. I'm re- really am. <laughs> I'm building this. Yeah, up. you you really are. I feel like I've, I feel like I feel under so much pressure now to deliver the the most amazing experience. <laughs> um, and I think the, the the third one is probably around September this year. Um, where we're gonna follow in Ben's footsteps and have uh, a fifth child. Oh wow! A podcast exclusive. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I genuinely, I so, genuinely did not um, know that was coming, guys. So, oh, that's amazing. He did. <laughs> yeah, that is incredible. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah, we, we we're kind of that's the that's that's the other date that I'm looking forward to. So yeah, three very important dates for their various reasons. Amazing. Um, oh no, honestly, that has, that has made me so happy. Um, I, I was holding that back before guys, if it, it, <laughs> you wouldn't have seen this obviously, but when we were prepping, I was like, should I say anything? So I was like, nah, I'll just say it live and, and, and kind of get Ben's reaction live. That's perfect. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's amazing. It's, we're looking forward to that. Amazing. No, thank you. Well, Donald, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I feel like we could have gone on for, we could have done another hour of this. Um, so much to, to, yeah, to sort of talk 100%. about. And as I said before, I'm really ungrateful for you sort of be for your, your candor, your honesty, you know, being so open uh, about so much that, that's gone on and is your journey as a father. And I look forward to people following you and, you know, following your journey and all the incredible work that uh, that you're doing. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Ben. And and again, uh, you're an inspiration to so many of us. And 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 you know, amazing that the podcast is is now up and running. And and you know, I will be following and recommending it to to uh, to as many people. And I'm looking forward to seeing it at the podcast awards as well. So amazing. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.